Hey, my name is Rob. I, uh, I lead a young adult ministry in Huntington Beach, California at Cross Point Church. We got some of my, my Cross Point peeps in the front row. Last year I did a breakout and I brought some Cross Point people and I told them beforehand, I said, you don't need to come to my breakout, it's fine. You, like, kind of like a you know, humility move. And um, I, like, I, you know, we got started and everything and I was just like, all right, uh, where are my Cross Point people at? Thinking that surely they'd be like, I will come to see Rob, you know, do his thing. And no one came from that, from my group. And so I was just like, hey, where's my crossbow people at? Crickets. Nothing. And so I told my guys this week, I was just like, listen, seriously, I'm not going to be offended. Don't come to my, you hear me talk all the time. You're fine. And they're on the front row. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Well, hey, we, uh, again, I bring you greetings from Huntington Beach, California. It's a hard place to, to be, but somebody's got to do it. So we're there. And um, we, uh, it's pretty great. It's, uh, it's nice all the time. That's the reality of, of Huntington Beach. Uh, but I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be a part of this conference. And, um, you know, this, this church is so special to me in so many ways because I grew up in this church. And I remember when I was um, in high school, one of my friends from school, he started to come to church with me here. And I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience where, like, some, one of your close friends from, from school, like, interacts with your world at church. And it was, like, the coolest thing ever. And so we got to be even closer as friends. We got to go through all of youth group together. We got to go through, uh, we graduated youth group together and graduated high school. We went to Missouri State, go Bears, together. I wore my maroon jacket today just in support. Um, you guys almost beat Arkansas. It was awesome. Um, but Arkansas is getting killed now. We don't need to talk about it. Um, but I remember we went to Missouri State. We both got plugged into our college ministry. And it was awesome. Like it was really cool to, to be able to continue to, to do life and to be in church and fellowship with this guy. And, you know, this guy was one of our, one of our really close friends. He married one of the girls from our youth group. And um, it, was, it was just really cool. And this guy, he went up and eventually left Springfield and went to grad school. And then every time that my friend would come back from grad school, um, he was like kind of absent from church. And I didn't really think anything of it, you know. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, red lights going on all the time. But, you know, the more and more he came back and eventually he moved back and like he just was never in church. And I was like, man, what, what's going on with this? And eventually his mom got sick. And after a little bit, his mom passed away. And any time that me or my other friends would try to, like, talk with him and just try to engage with him and try to, like, really see how he's doing, he kind of just had this, like, sense of, like, withdrawing. And he withdrew from, he didn't ever want to have, like, a real conversation about this. He was still our friend. We loved him so much, but there was, like, this separation between us. And he we kind of had this thing where he kept... Uh, slowly withdrawing from different things. He withdrew from, you know, regular interactions with us. He withdrew from any sort of connection with church. And it seems as if at this point, he is withdrawn completely from Christianity altogether. And if statistics are right, I'm not the only person in this room who has that kind of story. I'm not the only person in this room who has people that they love, that maybe they grew up with at church, maybe they went to youth group with, maybe you even went to college with them, when they started out following Jesus, and now for whatever reason, they're not. 
You know, it hits, it hits this, this idea of like deconstructing and falling away from God is kind of prevalent in this young adult season of life. And it doesn't only hit our friends, it hits the people who are prominent and that we know of. I remember to hear a couple years ago how Marty Sampson, one of the, the, my favorite worship leaders of Hillsong, he famously deconverted from Christianity. And, he, and he, this is what he wrote. He wrote, to the church of Jesus Christ, I forgive you and I love you. I've got tears running down my face because it's so true. I adore you Christians. I love you so much. That's all. It was amazing being one of you, but I'm not anymore. Joshua Harris, the former pastor and author of several popular Christian books that captured the heart of a generation in the late 90s and early 2000s with the book, I uh, Kiss Dating Goodbye. In 2019, he posted on his Instagram this caption. He said, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measures that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith. And I want to remain open to this. But I'm not there now. You know, for many of us, these stories that, of my friend and these popular leaders, these are not like far-off theories. These are close lived experiences for you. And maybe you have people in your life that are like that. Maybe you're in here right now and you're on the edge. Maybe you don't know what you believe. Maybe something has rocked you so bad to where you have, you just don't know if, where you're going to land with following Jesus or not. And can I tell you, my heart's desire for every single person in this room is for you to experience the fullness of God in your life. I want you to be able to have the intellectual and emotional confidence to be able to navigate the storms of life and come out on the other side stronger for it. And my prayer for you is that by the end of your life, You'd be able to go to God and God would be able to look at you and he would be able to welcome you into his kingdom and for him to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But the question that a lot of us have is how? How do we get there? How do we like actually make it the long haul as a Christian? What are the things that we need to do in order to do it? How do we be people who don't fall in the normal places that people trip up in? How do we actually make it for the long haul? Can I hold on to my faith for good? And today, I just want to give you four things. Four things that I think if we do these things, I really believe that God would actually help you make it for the long haul. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. There are so many amazing things that you can do. But these are four things that I just so believe that if we embrace these things, that we could actually do it. God could actually carry us through our entire lives to the end of our life. We will have the reward of heaven to be with Jesus forever, praising him and glorifying him. So the first thing that I think you, we need to do if we want to be a person who makes it for the long haul as a Christian is we need to actually discover what biblical Christianity is. You need to discover biblical Christianity. Do you know that God, who is in heaven... 
He wants to be known by his people. God who is so much greater, who's so much bigger, so much holier than, than us, he actually has decided that he is going to reveal himself to us. And the primary way that he does this is through the Bible, through his word. Everything we know about God, we can find in the Bible. Everything we know, everything we know about God was written down by men who were supernaturally inspired by God to write it. And now instead of hoping that we're pleasing God, now instead of hoping that we, that we may, um, I don't know if this is going to be good, I don't know if this is the kind of God God is, we can actually know who God is. We can know what he's like. We can know what God likes. We can know how you can interact with him. You can know how to get to heaven. God has revealed himself to us primarily through his word, and his word has not changed in 2,000 years. So if you want to know what God is like, you need to go to Scripture. If you want to know how to get to heaven, you need to go to Scripture. If you want to know what God disapproves of, you need to go to Scripture. If you want to know if an idea is good or true or right, then you need to take that idea and you need to compare it to the unchanging revelation of God. And I think one of the reasons I think we need to start with this is because so many people, especially in the Midwest Bible Belt, we kind of have this cultural Christianity. And if you want to make it for the long haul as a Christian, you've got to replace your current cultural Christianity with biblical Christianity. And the reason you need to do this is because when push comes to shove, when life hits you, your current cultural Christianity will fly out the window. You know, current, the cultural Christianity, what, that, what it does is it celebrates the biblical teaching of the day that matches with the current mor moral barometer of the day. Do you guys know this? And do you know that actually morality in a culture, it shifts over time? It shifts over time, meaning that you could actually believe something to be true and right and good in one decade, and then in the next decade, you can think the opposite. And you know this to be true. You know this to be true. You know how you know this to be true? There are certain things that you don't bring up at Thanksgiving dinner with your grandparents. Am I right? Like you just like, well, I'm not going to talk about that. They've got some crazy ideas about this kind of thing, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to say it to them. But this is, we know this to be true. If for some reason, it seems that every 25 to 50 years, the goalposts shift. And what we're aiming at as a society is so different than what is now here as a society. And we know this just because if you look at the, the history of the world that is recorded, there are certain times where things that we think is so deplorable now was so accepted and widely considered fine. For instance, did you know that at one point in the world, that the good and right and true thing that people that agreed was probably moral and okay was that if you didn't want a child after it was born, you could throw it out. And especially if this child was born the wrong gender, you could throw it out. I think you can guess what gender that is. And like children like this didn't have very much value in society. They would just leave them out. And one of the leading causes of death was exposure. Just leaving kids out to die, baking in the sun. This was, this was a common practice. And we see this, there's, there's this amazing, really insightful letter 
that a first century letter from a husband to his pregnant wife to, that shows the severity and the contrast between his tender regard for his wife and his just disappointment of a, of a possible future daughter. Listen to this. This is, this is the culture that was, he was living in now. Yeah, this is what he's writing to his wife. He says, I ask and beg of you to take care of our baby son. Of you are delivered, or of you who are delivered of a child before I get home. If it's a boy, then keep it. If it's a girl, discard it. You have sent me word, don't forget you, but how could I forget you? In this short letter, you see this, this man who's like actually having a tender moment for, with his wife, who his wife's like, hey, don't forget me. And he's writing, he's like, hey, don't, baby, I'll never forget you, girl. It's not a problem. But in this like normal letter, what, what is so, you miss really quickly if you miss it. He says, hey, if you, if we have, if you have the baby before I leave, if it's a son, amazing, awesome. If it's a daughter, throw it out. But I love you. Guys, this is the culture that once believed something to be true that we look at now and say, this is not good. There's no way this, to be, this is good. But out of this culture, there was a group of people who followed a man named Jesus. And Jesus was a man who said this in this culture, let the little children come to me. He valued children. And Jesus even went further and he said, listen, unless you have the faith like a child, then you could never enter into my kingdom. And it was Christians were the first people who, who put together orphanages. And Christians are still the people leading the way with adoption and fostering. All because we follow a God who has a certain revealed morality, a revealed design, a revealed value system. And even in a culture that did not agree with that, they lived it out. And now we live in a society that once you're out of the womb, we believe that you, yeah, absolutely, we should value kids. Like that should be a normal thing. If you, there's social workers and there's services that you can call, but that was not always the case. Culture is caught, caught, caught up to this idea. There's another idea. Do you know that there was a time in, in our country where it was thought that it was good and right and true and fine that black people didn't deserve equal treatment? That it was very okay that you could deny goods and services to them if you wanted to. But there was a man who followed Jesus named Martin Luther King Jr. And his argument was not to go away to a new progressive view about race. What he said, he had, no, his call was a return to the biblical Christianity. He was returning to the ideas that the Bible has actually placed back in Genesis about the value of people and how every person, no matter who you are, you have the image of God written on you. That, no, that means no matter what color you are, you have intrinsic value, you have intrinsic worth because the imago day of God is on you. And there is, that means there is no room for discrimination. There is no room for racism. And this idea, what I am saying to you, was a revolutionary countercultural idea. Now it is caught up and we look at this as like, of course, of course we should treat people with respect. Of course we should not be prejudiced. Of course we should do all these things. But this is a Christian virtue that, was, that will always be true no matter if society thinks it's good or not. Listen, 
culture is always going to shift. There are always going to be things that are in vogue, that are cool to be all about. And there are always going to be things that, ah, if the Bible says this, I'm just not about it. But this part of the Bible I'm really liking. I think it's really good. And here's what you need to know about where you are right now. Your modern moral high ground isn't reliable. It's going to change. Your grandkids will think you're the worst about some things. Because you think your grandparents kind of have some weird ideas about some things. If you want to make it as a Christian for the long haul, you need to be somebody who's not like thrown to and fro with the ideas of what we believe as a society about something at this time. You need to be somebody who's able to elevate your eyes from your current station in life, in your current cultural goggles, and you need to lift up to see what God actually cares about. You need to go to Scripture. You need to realize that what God has revealed about Himself to us has not changed. That if you actually study church history, there's actually very, there's hardly anything has changed in 2,000 years. What we believe, what they believed back then is what we believe now. It's something that is for real and true and good and right and holy and no matter what anybody thinks. So what you need to do is don't get your theological understanding of God just from TikTok. Don't get it just from Instagram. What you need to do is you need to go to God's word and you need to discover what biblical Christianity is. You need to compare any new idea, any new, any new faction of anything, bring it right back to what does the Bible have to say about this? That's what you need to do. It's timeless. It's true. It's unchanging. You got you to gotta discover biblical Christianity. Number two, you got to be ready for the storms of life. You got to be ready for the storms of life. And this is a point, and this is an important part of life that I... I even hesitate to even just like, in the, trying to be quick about this, but like I don't want to minimize the storms that people are in right now. I know that there are people in this room who are going through unspeakable pain right now. Like the things that you're dealing with, no one should ever have to deal with that. Like the, the diagnosis that you received, the phone calls that you got late at night, the thing that happened to you that no one should have ever done to you, I know that this is something that is not good, that it's something that you carry, that it hurts. And it's throwing you off and it's even causing you to even doubt is God good or not. And maybe some of the things in your life, these storms of life are leaving you like feeling these emotions of like pain. Or maybe you just sort of like like kind of disconnected and you're like, I don't feel anything right now. And if you haven't experienced anything like this, listen, life has a way of happening to you, if you haven't experienced like the throes and the pain and the turmoil and the, and the storms of life, you will. You will. You can't avoid it. And what I'm about to tell you, I realize what I'm about to ask you. I realize what I'm about to ask you is something that you look at and you're like, no way. No way that, that can work. But I'm, I'm asking you this. To, I'm asking you to understand the teachings of Jesus, and how it actually, in the midst of your storm right now, you can actually have an anchor to hold. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9, Peter is writing to the church who is experiencing pain and persecution. And it, it's, it's a difficult time for the church. There's hardship, there's grief. And if you, if you just want, if you want to be encouraged, if you're going through a hard time and you need some hope, just read 1 Peter. But I just want to read a section of scripture for you, 1 Peter 3 through 9. And I want you just to like listen to the words and allow like the Holy Spirit to encourage you with this. It says this. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we can thank God, we can praise God because it's him who caused us to have life again and have a hope again because Jesus died for us. And it says we, are, we, have been, we were born again into a living hope from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You know what Peter is saying right here? Peter is trying to describe the inheritance that we have as believers in heaven. And the best way that he's choosing to describe what it is, because it's so good, it's so amazing, it's like incomprehensible. The best way that he can describe how it to, how, what it's like to people is to tell you what it's not. He's saying it's so good, it's, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. We don't have the language to describe the reward that we have in heaven. There, there, we cannot comprehend what is going to happen in heaven. But it's kept this, this inheritance, which is un, unperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven um, for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power is, is guarding through faith for our salvation. And so this is what he says in verse 6. In this, in, in this inheritance that you have because of what God did through Jesus Christ, in this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he starts to talk about Jesus. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. What is the outcome of our faith? What is the outcome at the end of our life if we can make it as a Christian? What is that? The salvation of our souls. What Peter is asking for followers of Jesus who are experiencing it, who are going through it, who it's difficult. It is a dark time, and maybe that's you today. What he's telling you right now is that God saved you through Jesus. You have an inheritance that's so good you can't even describe it. And God will guard your salvation. And the trials, what trials are actually doing, the thing that are go that's going in your life, what that actually is doing, it is revealing what you really believe. It is revealing what you really believe about God and what is the... The reason that we could even rejoice, the full idea of even trying to do this, is because that the, when you, you could actually be strengthened by the trials. And it strengthens the hope within you. And at the last part, this is not in vain because the end result of all this, the end result of, of trying to, to make it, to try to, to 
lean into God, what is the end result of our faith? It's this salvation. It's this gift. It's this inheritance for your souls. So what Peter is telling you right now, he's saying, listen, I know you're going through a storm, but you need to remember that this is not the end of your story. The people, I know, again, you might be going through something so unique and so hard and so difficult. You need to realize that this, if you follow Jesus, this is not your end. No matter what happens, it's not the end of your story. That means that the best is still yet to come. And if you look at your storms of your life, just with your view of this life in mind, you will never make it. But if you look at your, this storm in your life in view of eternity, what, John, what JP did last year, you will be able to make it. And what God is so good. You know, God could just have just said, hey, if you just kind of hang on, it's fine. If you make it there, I'll give you all the inheritance. But God is so involved and wants to be close to his people that he wants to be with us in the pain. In Psalm 23, it describes a God who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. He's not, someone who deliver, he's not somebody who keeps us away always from the hardship. He is a God who is a shepherd who is with us, who comforts us, who, who is always going to be with us, who is never going to leave us. And so what God does in light of your current circumstance of its hardship and the difficulty and the pain and the storm of your life, he actually allows you in between now and the eternity that you're going to be fine, in, in this little gap area in the middle, he allows you to, can you hand over your pain to me? Give me your pain. He's not trying to minimize your pain. He's not trying to get you to forget about your pain. What he's trying to do is just to let, like, remember what's coming for you. But listen, in the meantime, I've got you. I've got you. You can handle it. You got to be someone who's ready for the storms of life. And number three, you need to, in order to be ready for the storms of life, you have to be ready to cling to the promises of God. You got to cling to the promises of God. You know, there's a guy in, um, who just started coming to our young adult ministry in, in Huntington. And he is kind of one of those rough guys. He wears like those like super like metal shirts all the time. He has like the long hair and he just walks up like this all the time. He's just like ready to, you know, have a conversation. And... Um, He's like very like in your face and direct, and he has no idea that I don't care. And so he's just like, he like will cuss a little bit. I'm just like, cool, um, you know. Um, and so he, he came up, he's like kind of talking to me. He's just like, first week, he's just like, yeah, I don't believe in God. I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I don't even like Christians. I hate Christians. I'm like, okay. And I know I'm usually not this direct, but when you, when you come at me with directness, I'll come right back at you with directness. And so I was just like, He's like, yeah, I don't even like Christians. And I'm like, then why are you here, dude? He's like, well, I mean, like, I mean, like, I grew up in the church and stuff. And, like, I just don't have any friends. I'm trying to, like, find friends. I said, so you want, like, the benefit of Christianity without, like, being in Christianity? He's like, well, I mean, I never thought about it like that, I guess. But I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and, like, we get together a lot. And he, you know, talks. And we went to coffee a couple weeks ago. And he was just describing how, like, the longings of his life. He's like, man, I want to eventually get married. I want to, like, settle down. I don't have stability. And I asked him, like, what are you looking for in a marriage? Like, what are you, what are you trying to find? Like, and he's just like, well, I want somebody with, like, a little bit of Christianity so we can, like, relate on a couple things but not really believe it that much. And I said, hey, and again, you come at me with directness, I'm going to come at you with directness. I said, hey, um, 
you're never going to get a Christian to date you, dude. Like a Christian would never want to date you. He goes, whoa, that's harsh. I'm like, dude, I don't think a Muslim would want to date you, dude. Like there's, like you don't believe what they believe. Why would they want to date you, dude? And he's just like, well, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. I said, well, you can find somebody who's kind of a Christian who says that culturally. And maybe that could work. But like you'll never get an actual Christian to date you. And he, was just, and he just couldn't get over that idea. And the thing I always bring, and I, this is my line every time. I'm like, listen, dude, you know my deal. I'm a pastor. I bring this back to what do you believe about God? I said, because right now what you believe about God shapes everything. And you're in a season where you're trying to figure out all the things in life. And you don't know what you believe about God. And so if you want to be, be somebody who like tries to find the people that you want to find that will lead to ultimate blessing in your life and goodness... I just think that you should do it God's way. But you need to figure out if you even believe in God or not. I said, you're 23. In this decade of your life, you have to do the work. Either you, believe, you do the work to figure out if God is real and follow him, or to figure out if he's not real and then just do whatever you want. I think he was like kind of freaked out about my directness at that point. But I told him, I was like, man, you just, you need to, you need to do this. And I'm like, the, what you need, you got you to gotta figure out what you believe about God. And like even, he's like, I just don't feel it. I just don't feel God. I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. And I went to tell him, I was like, listen, what's so great about what God has revealed about him and how we can know him is through the word. And so in his word, he has promises about himself that if you do this, then he will do this. And you have to, in moments of like where you don't exactly know what to do or there's some turmoil or whatever, you have to just cling to those promises of God. It's like the ground is shaking. The promises of God are like the handles that you can hold to stabilize yourself. And I told him, I got to tell him, every time you get to share anything about the Bible or God with people, realize that you are telling them good news. And so I got to tell him, James 4.8, one of my favorite promises of God. It says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And I told him that God is not hard to find. God is, is for those who generally, genuinely want God, God is always there. But for those who don't really want God, God will not force himself on anybody. And do you know that God, this is the way God works. If you don't want God, he's not going to do it. Do you know that God doesn't actually send people to hell? People just choose whether or not they want God or they don't. This is, this is who, like God, God is so available to people. The problem is we don't care. And so I just asked him, I said, man, you just have to get to the point where you're either going to really try, genuinely try to figure this out or not. So you need, to, you need to just hold on to this promise and then act as if, if, you, if you're serious about this and you really want to do this, you need to hold on to this promise and you need to just like rest in it for a second. And like, I'm, it's like, I have no authority over you, but I'm just going to challenge you for the next six months. You need to do what this verse says and you need to every day you pray before you go to bed or when, whatever, just say, hey, God, I don't know if you're real. But I want, to, I want to know if you are real. So please reveal yourself to me. I said, pray that every day for six months. And while you're doing that, go to church consistently. Join my small group. Be involved with what we have going on. Surround yourself with Christian community. That so matters. You got to try it. And I don't know if he's doing this or not. I don't, but, but here's the deal. I don't have any other good news to give. Other than th- this is what God has said. And if, I don't think God's a liar. So what I have to do is I just have to bank on the Holy Spirit of God. I have to bank that God's not gonna, he's not gonna go away. I have to bank that what he says is true. 
So I, you pray for David. This is not being streamed, right? Probably shouldn't say that. Um, you know, God promises to give you strength. He promises to give you rest. He promises to take care of all your needs. He promises that he's going to work everything out for your good. He promises to be with you. He promises freedom from sin. He promises you everlasting life. And you need to, you either, in your life, in your Christian walk with God, if you want to make it for the long haul, you have to get to a point where you either believe the promises of God or you don't. You believe that he is going to come through or you don't. But can I tell you, the way to please God is just to believe that he's, what he says is true. If you want to make it, off, make it the long haul, you've got to get off the fence and cling to the promises of God. And number four, the last thing, is you need to remember that the relationships in your life matter more than you know. Your relationships matter more than you know. You know, I talked about um, Joshua Harris and how he deconverted. And my friend, William Merle, he wrote an insightful blog about it. William was one of those people who in the late 90s and early 2000s really loved his book. And, and so, like, that's how he decided to use the concepts of this book to, to date and get married. And it was just such a big blow to him to see one of his spiritual heroes fall away from the faith. And so he wrote a blog about it, and he, he talked about when the announcement happened in 2019 that he was deconverting, um, he, William looked up the, his, you know, just his, uh, his Amazon to see, like, what are the books he's written, because he's like, I haven't checked in in a while. And so he realized the last book that he wrote was in 2010. And listen to the title of the last book that he wrote in 2010. The book that he wrote was Dug Down Deep, Building Your Life on Truths That Last. And the title is one thing, that's pretty crazy, but the, the real crazy part is when you look at the acknowledgments of the book. And the acknowledgments of the book kind of like shows, it's like a, it's a peek into the author's uh, personal life and kind of seeing how he formed, what he's formed, and motivations behind it, and the people that were a part of all this. And in his foreword, he mentions four specific groups of people. And the first that he mentions is his church, the church that he was a pastor of, Covenant Life. The second, he mentions his friend and mentor and pastor, C.J. Mahinney. Third, he mentions his close friends, some of the guys, the Gospel Coalition buddies. And then number four, he mentions his wife, Shannon. His whole life wrapped up in these relationships, right? All of which he did not have in 2019. So the question is, what happened between 2010 and 2019? I'll give you a brief uh, overview of what happened. In 2011, Harris's denomination, Sovereign, Sovereign Grace Ministries, was rocked by internal dissension. And C.J. Mahenny, his pastor and, and mentor and friend, the founder of this denomination, was put on indefinite administrative leave while the denomination conducted an independent review of Mahenny's leadership practices. In 2012... Harris's church was embroiled in a lawsuit that alleged that the leaders of the denomination and the church had covered up sexual abuse in their churches for decades. While each of these incidents predated Harris's time as pastor, he was at the helm when the legal and media storms arose. 
In 2013, Mahaney, his, his pastor and mentor, officially stepped down as president of the denomination and amidst growing controversy over the leadership's handling of the sex abuse scandal. In 2014, Harris resigned from the Council of the Gospel Coalition as his church processed the fallout of the sexual abuse conviction of a former youth pastor of the church. In 2015, Harris resigned as the senior pastor of Covenant Life Church and decided to move his family to Vancouver to study at Regent College. And in 2019, the last domino fell as Harris announced that he and his wife were getting a divorce after 20 years of marriage. Man, I can't imagine the pain that he must have been going through in that decade. You know, the central metaphor of his book, Dug Down Deep, was, comes from the parable of Jesus, of the wise and the foolish builders in Luke chapter 6. And the central question of the book is, what are you building your life on? How will you survive the storms of life? And why didn't Harris's faith seem to last? Some will say that his theological training wasn't deep enough. Like he never went to seminary. And so he just wasn't, he wasn't, you know, as, as strong as he could have been. Others speculate that maybe there was like some cracks in his moral foundation. Or maybe like a secret sin that nobody knew about that was ultimately the, the underpinning of everything. The truth is we have no idea. We don't know. We have no idea all this stuff. But when you look at his life... I think the more interesting thing is to, you can see that every foundational relationship in his life crumbled in less than a decade. Harris's experience relational fracturing with his church, with his spiritual father, with his friends, and his wife. And we have no idea if these people abandoned him or he leaned away from these people. But what this points to, and the truth that we are like painfully come up against here is that discipleship to Jesus cannot be done in a vacuum. Discipleship is relationship. Relationship is discipleship. You, it matters who you're around. It matters who you choose to do life with. It matters who you have in your inner circle. Because we know this to be true, but often we don't actually live it out. Your friends will dictate the direction of your future. Your friends are like elevator buttons that will take you up or down. There is no Willy Wonka sideways elevator in life. Who you choose to hang out with are the people. You just look at them and that is a picture of who you will become in the future. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul is saying, it doesn't matter if you're like the most moral, excellent person ever. You actually have the ability to fall away because of the people that you hang around, hang around with. He says this, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. It corrupts good character. And Paul is writing this chapter in the context of the, believing the resurrection of Jesus. Which means, Paul is saying in this context that the people that you choose to surround yourself with, they have the ability to, help, to make you not believe in the very thing that will save you. The very thing that will sustain you, to give you that inheritance when you die. They have the ability to take you away from that. So you've got to understand 
that relationships matter more than you know. More than you know. So number one, you got to discover, discover biblical Christianity. Number two, you have to be ready for the storms of life. Number three, you have to cling to the promises of God. And number four, you have to remember that relationships matter more than you know. You know, I have, I have a list of my friends who have fallen away from God on my Evernote. And when I pray for them, sometimes I just get really discouraged. Can I just be real with you guys for a second? I just get like overwhelmed with discouragement. Because like I've tried a lot of stuff. Like I've tried to like... You know, they know what I'm doing. They were at the same church where we learned to do the same thing. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, sneaking in. You know, they know. And I just get, like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know, like, like God, can, what? this could never happen. And a couple months ago, I was at a point where I was just so, I was particularly discouraged. And I was like, I just don't think this will ever happen. There's, like, what am I going to do? I'm at my wit's end. And I felt, like, in this moment of desperation and, like, my heart for my friends, that God just like placed this like phrase in my head. Like I just, it just came to my mind and it was this phrase that it can happen, God can do it. It can happen, God can do it. And the question that I have for you, and I need some participation real quick, um, as a survey, is there anything that God cannot do, yes or no? Is anything too hard for God? Our God is so strong and powerful and benevolent and wise and rich and merciful and kind. There is nothing that our God cannot do. Do you know that? God is, he's amazing. He's bigger than you think. He's more powerful than you think. He loves you and your friends more than you think. So if that is true, if there is nothing that God cannot do, we have to think, what does God want to do? What is God's heart in that case, we have to figure this out. And listen, God's desire is for you to be saved and to make it. God's desire is for your friends who have fallen away to be saved and to make it. How do we know this? It says in 2 Peter 3.9, it says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you. Not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know what this means for you who are in here and you're discouraged by your friends who do not know Jesus? That God can and wants to save your friends. That's a good person to have on your side. God can and wants to see you make it the long haul as a Christian. You know, and I just, I just can't help it in this group like this. What if we just believed it? What if we just believed that God is powerful? That he can do anything? That he can use anyone? That he could save anybody. What if we just believed it? How would that change the way you act? How would that change the way you interact with people? I believe if we do this, if we could be a people, if we go back to all of our respective cities, you could change your city. Because God is just looking for people. He's not looking for rock stars. God is looking for people who just simply obey him to understand, to look at, he puts a simple piece of obedience in front of you and he asks you to obey it. And if you do that, God will work. God works through obedience. His power is unmatched. His generosity and love and kindness and saving grace is, has no bounds. There is nobody too far from God. But we need to be a people who just devote ourselves to believe it. You know, all revival is unprecedented until it's not. 
that person in your life that does not know Christ who fell away, they can be saved. It can happen. God can do it. You can make it as a Christian. Do you know why? You know why it can happen? Because God can do it. And it's my prayer for every single person in this room that you would just believe it. Just get to a point where you're like, I'm discouraged, but I know that my God has got it. And he wants more than even me for the people who I love to come to know him. And we just have to be people who are obedient and believe that God can do anything. Let me pray for you. God, I just, I just thank you for this opportunity to be here, Lord. God, you are so powerful. We forget that all the time. You can work yesterday and we can forget about it in a day. God, I pray that you would allow your people in this room to have a perspective of eternity in mind. Have a perspective of your power and your holiness and your grace in mind, Lord. Would you allow this group of people to see what it would be like for, you, for them to obey you and then to watch the supernatural power of you move? God, we pray for revival. We pray for our friends. We pray that you would do it in our lives as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.